Good evening, everyone, from my side. Thanks, Megan. Give someone next to you a high five and say, welcome to church. And then you say to the person on the other side, you are the church. Before I delve into the message tonight, I just felt just to, just to share something concerning church and and the reason why we do church and that we come to church, and the, the fact is, if, if you look at, if I look at the book of Acts, I don't know if you've looked at the book of Acts recently. It's one of those books that you need to read at least once in two months, just to get us acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, Wilbert? Amen. Okay, great. There's agreement. But, but, but if I look at the, the first Christians, the first disciples, you know, when they gathered together, it wasn't just for a little message that they would get in order to sustain them to make the rest of their weeks. Now, when they got together, stuff happened, right? You would remember when they got together, it says that the, literally, physically, the place where they gathered together was shaken. All right? So, so I believe church and the coming together, the coming together of believers is so important. Um, and I believe so neglected in modern Christianity. We live in such individualized worlds that we forget about the power of the coming together. And so Jesus said, my, um, my father, I'm about my father's business because my father is working. And so I believe when Christians come together, that gathering means we do business together, right? We do the father's business. It's not the business of this world, but it's the father's business. So, so when we come to church, it's not to... To, to get a service or something from uh, a setup or a, um, you know, a structure to help me to become a better person. But now it's participation in being the church to the world. So it's where we come together, where we strategize, where we say, God, give us new directions, shake this place um, so that we can go out and, and affect the, the world. I heard there was a bit of shaking happening here on Friday night. Is anyone part of that? If you're a little bit confused, a, a group of people in church, mostly the students, came together Friday night and prayed right through the night, 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. That's it, Matthew. Great. So Matthew's going to give us some feedback on that in some, some time. But, but tonight I want to pick up on a message that I uh, began to share about three weeks ago. Uh, I've noticed a couple of new faces. Welcome to church tonight. You are so welcome. I noticed Batty and Sam visiting us tonight. How's the guys? They're traveling the world. Good to see you guys visiting us again. Um, so I, meant, I, I started sharing a sermon. Don't worry if you're visiting us tonight. I'm going to do a quick recap. Um, if you maybe miss, missed the message, um, hopefully you won't miss too much. Um, but if you feel I'm moving a bit quickly, then uh, you can always... Go and get the download, catch up. The message is titled, The Human Heart, Jesus, and True Strength. Who wants to be strong? I think all of us. None of us want to be, like, not strong. I don't know if we use the word weak. And I read from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I lifted up. Who remembers that message a couple of weeks ago? Just so that I know. Okay, so pretty much half the crowd here. So I'm going to do a quick recap. So the, the scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah is this 
this uh, amazing encounter with Jesus. And, and I really believe, thanks Jason for, for your offering message and thanks for the prophetic words. God, I believe, wants to get one message down with us tonight that we need to be able to receive. We need to become those that can receive from Jesus. For three years, Jesus had 12 men that walked with him that did, did one thing. They just received from him. All right? And, and, and I love, love sometimes, I don't know if it was a bit uncomfortable a bit earlier in the worship, but, you know, I actually love those uncomfortable moments. I don't know if you've noticed, but Jesus had many uncomfortable moments with his disciples. They were seriously uncomfortable. You know, when Jesus said, said things that they didn't expect, um, you know, Peter, you know, that moment he thought, you know, he, he's just got it sorted, you know, because Jesus had just praised him. The next words were, get behind me, Satan. You know, that was the same chapter, you know, so, so just when he thought he sorted it out, he figured it out, you know, he's now the, the, the man of God, and then suddenly Jesus says, no, you're Satan. <laughs> I think that was uh, quite extreme and quite intense. Any case, so, um, so we see that Jesus knew the heart of man. He knew his disciples. Um, in that place of being uncomfortable, he was molding their hearts. He was doing something with their hearts, establishing something in their hearts so that when he left, that was in place. They were, um, they were able to receive from the Father. And because, like Jason said, they could receive, they could give. And did they give? Look at the book of Acts. 3,000 coming to salvation in one, one moment, one day. Then they went out um, you know, healed the sick. They did amazing things, mighty things in, in the name of Jesus because they had learned to position their hearts to receive. So I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring home tonight is learn to receive or allow God to, to move that in your heart. But Jesus knew the heart of man. We see this um, in the scriptures um, that he understands man because he created us. And so more than anyone, he understands man. Jesus, again, with his disciples, he knew them. He knew them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, um, The heart, from, uh, from it flow the issues of life. Right? The, a heart that is not in a good place. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, A desire unful, unfulfilled makes the heart sick. Um, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. Right? The heart is in need of, of healing. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, A lack of peace will result in a troubled heart. Right? Jesus comes and he speaks peace over his disciples. If your heart is not in a place of peace, it means, well, if your heart is troubled, it means it's a lack of the peace of God. And God can bring you peace. So we, we started talking about that first phrase of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I borrowed this image from Louis. I don't know who the artist is, so we can't give the artist credit. I'll find out, and I will credit the artist at some stage. But uh, this amazing scene of Isaiah having an encounter with the Lord. Isaiah learning to receive from God. We're going to come back to that now. But firstly, that first phrase. In fact, the last message, we just focused on that first phrase of in the year that King Uzziah died. Because King Uzziah was a very specific king. King Uzziah... Um, resembled something, something had to happen. The scripture is very intentional in saying that the king had to die before Isaiah could 
have this vision, have this experience, have this, this moment where the whole nation would be affected. Um, but it says in King Uzziah died. This King Uzziah was a great king, was a very prosperous king. Um, last time we looked into his life. Um, but basically comes down to the fact that he did things that was right in the sight of the Lord. God blessed him immensely. The scripture actually goes and says, God helped him marvelously. Um, God was really on his side until one moment where the scripture says his heart was lifted up. The, the, the word is Uzziah. The name Uzziah means Yah is strength. Yah is strength. So his whole life, until that point, he lived Yah is strength. And at some point, it became I am strength. Right? And we see this really sad situation where, where he thought, well, he can go and do things that he wasn't ordained to do. We read in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 15, that Isaiah, his heart was lifted up and, and he, he transgressed against the Lord by entering the, into the temple, into the holies of holies, where he was not allowed. Even though he was the king, the kings were not allowed in that certain place in the temple. It was allowed only for the priest. And that was the place of incense. Um, it was the place of where um, the priest would come and um, make intercession on behalf of the people. So it was like a really holy place and God had ordained specific people to come in and not all people. But Uzziah was in such a place where I believe he was frustrated with, with his, his life because he'd lost the blessing of God. He started feeling frustrated. Um, and so he remembered what he had with God. And so he wanted the blessings of God, but not in God's way, in his own way. And, and, and I said, and the disease in Isaiah's heart became the disease in, on his skin. So we know what happened is as he went into the presence of God where he should not have been because of the order of God at that time, um, he became leprous. Right? So, so really sad um, scenario. Um, two things that we can learn from Isaiah was the lack of understanding of his own and divine instituted, instituted limitations. Even though he was the king he was still under God, who was the king of kings, which meant he couldn't do anything or everything he wanted. He could do what God had ordered for, ordained for him to do. Um, the second thing is we notice uh, the scripture indicates uh, uncontrollable anger. Again, indicating the state of his heart. His heart was not in a good place. Um, he had such an anger, he resisted the priests. It says he became furious. So he had anger issues, right? He was a good king, but at some point, his, the pride in his heart allowed him to, to drift and allowed him to regress into a place where many issues um, came into his heart. Now, so we, we're talking about the heart, the human heart, and we're moving on to Jesus, and we're ending up with strength, true strength. We're going to explain in a moment. But Jesus was the most self-aware person that, that lived this face of the earth. Jesus showed us how to live this life. And so Jesus said, I know where I'm coming from, and I know where I'm going. He was very aware of himself. There's a particular story in Luke chapter 13, or um, account um, of Jesus with the religious people of the day. Now, I want you to see, I'm going to read the text to us. And I want you to see the contrast um, between Jesus 
and the religious rulers of the day, and particularly um, this, um, was it the, um, the ruler of the synagogue? So I'm going to read the account first. And he was teaching out in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called it to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from this infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Indignation. You see her anger as well there. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered and said to him, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman being... Lost my place here. It's behind me. I, I, it's in front of me too, but I've, I've just. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's start again. Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abram, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these, all these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced of the glorious things that were done by him. So, again, two things that we can see from, from this, this account of, of, of Jesus healing this woman. Um, the religious people of the day, their li- minds were limiting what God could do. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that God allows the human mind to limit the king of kings moving? Right? And that, that sort of brings perspective to, to um, our understanding and our humility. Because isn't this a, a, a discussion about humility? And the second one is um, the religious people of the day, and specifically this ruler of the synagogue, he had little compassion. Think of it. This is actually the words of Jesus. Think of it. Um, 18 years, this woman suffers. 18 years, Jesus does a miracle in, in a way that no one has ever seen. The things that Jesus did was unheard of at that time. It's, it's, it's still amazing. It still amazes us. Um, but this guy, this ruler of the synagogue stands up and he says, now there's six days to do these things on. Um, isn't that incredible? Can you see the lack of compassion? Can, can you see that this guy, this ruler of this, this synagogue, has been so deceived that he thinks more about himself than about this poor woman that was healed? He should have been at the front of that party rejoicing with all the people of what had just happened. This woman that is as suffering has come to an end. Right? And we see, we see the spirit of religion does that. It removes compassion. But wherever there's no compassion, you know that the spirit of religion is, is operating. But there's, some, there's something a bit deeper here. We, we, we tend to focus on the spirit of religion um, and, and that th- this ruler of the synagogue was under such a spirit. Um, but there's something deeper than that, than that. I believe that in the same way that King Uzziah was broken 
And a wounded person, I believe this, this, this ruler of the synagogue was in the same place. He had deep hurts that, that blinded him to what was actually, actually going on. He was deeply broken and, and, and more importantly, self-absorbed. Self-absorbed. So I mentioned that Jesus was self-aware. The opposite of being self-aware is being self-absorbed. Sounds so close, but it is completely different things. Very far from one another. We'll see, we'll jump back to Isaiah in a moment, where we'll see that in that moment, in that vision of God, with God, he becomes self-aware, right? But this ruler of the synagogue was self-absorbed. So I want to just for a moment jump into the science of psychology. Now, I'm not by no means a psychologist, but I love to to look at um, things out there in the world that just show us that Jesus knows everything. Jesus is the truth. You know, I love, you know, and by no means do I say that everything in in the science of psychology um, is truth and is correct. But again, I love just to highlight when people say things that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. Right? And that he says. And, and what he's actually saying to this ruler is, listen, you should have compassion on this woman. You should know what's happening. But look at, look at what some psychologists say. Leon F. Salzer. He says, as many writers have noted, our relationships are damaged, sometimes irreparably, by a self-preoccupation that undermines the closeness or intimacy that all relationships require if they are to be nurturing and and resilient. As already suggested, constant self-absorption undermines our capacity for empathy and true understanding of the thoughts, feelings, needs, and desires of others. It is extremely difficult to clearly appreciate the world that exists outside ourselves when most of the time our focus is directed inward. All right? God wants us to be self-aware, but not um, self-absorbed. The ruler of the synagogue, he was so self-absorbed that he couldn't get himself to move beyond his own brokenness to appreciate the miracle that had just happened for that woman. He was, he was the, um, the agent of God. He was the appointed person of God. Um, so this was seriously in his interest to see people being healed and restored. But he was so broken, he missed it. Now, Jesus says that he wants us to be true worshipers. And he says, he says that the, the true worshipers are those that worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So, the, the truly self-aware person, or only the truly self-aware person can truly worship God. If I come in the presence of God and I realize, listen, I know my failures. I know what I've done wrong. I know my sins. But I know how amazing God is. You know, that is true worship. True worship doesn't come into the presence of God and presumes anything. True worship doesn't mean coming to the presence of God thinking that I've achieved much. Right? True worship comes into the presence of God recognizing 
God has done amazing things in my life, but God is so amazing. That is, that is true worship. So the, those two aspects, worship in truth is to be truly self-aware, truly knowing where you are at. Now, if you look again at the, um, the ruler of the synagogue, he wasn't even aware of his, the state of his heart. He wasn't aware of how captive he was to the schemes of the enemy. So that's worshiping in truth. Worshiping in truth means being self-aware, whereas um, worshiping in spirit means being God-aware, right? You cannot, you cannot just worship God in truth, um, and you cannot just worship Him in spirit. You must worship Him in spirit and in truth, knowing my limitations, but knowing His glory and how amazing, amazing God is. Self-awareness, not self-centeredness, leading to altruism, which means um, acting in compassion to people, leads to fulfillment. Right? That's that's if you want to you want to say that's the that's the that's God's way. That's Jesus's way. Is is self-awareness um, leading to compassion and leading to ultimate fulfillment? Who wants to be fulfilled in this life? Now, have you seen someone being very self-centered? Um, it's not very attractive, right? If someone is like really just talking about themselves and focusing on themselves, it's, it's not very attractive. It's very unattractive. Mostly, we, we, we don't like to be around those people. But, but people that are very self-aware are generally people that we'd like to be around. Because they know where they are, they've, they've got humility, they understand their limitations, and they are good people to be around. Um, the psychologist again says, as long as we continue pretty, pretty much on a daily basis to obsess about all things personal happiness, contentment, and a stable sense of well-being, it will be impossible to achieve. But whether we're feeling extremely bad or nervous about ourselves, Worriedly, worriedly remunerating about how others perceive us or indulge in grandiose thoughts about our own specialness, we're, descending, we're descending into a state of toxic self-absorption. As a personality trait, attending excessively to ourselves and at the expense of almost all other considerations, it is typically regarded not only as abnormal, but it's kind of unethical too. Such behavior depicts almost the opposite of altruism. Here we again to see, um, we see what science confirms what Jesus says. Jesus says it's more blessed, like Baki Buita says, to give than to receive. But it truly, truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Because it's in giving that we are truly fulfilled. Isn't the gospel amazing? Isn't the gospel so amazing? It's when you want all those things and you focus on all those things, that's exactly the time when you are the most unhappy. Have you seen really self-absorbed people? They generally, no, not generally, they're always very unhappy, right? Because it's not Jesus' way. It's not Jesus' way. Here we see with um, King Uzziah, he tried to get what God legitimately wanted to give him but on his own terms and in his own way. He wasn't willing 
to go on God's, in God's way. So, just a quick step back. Worship in truth. We see Isaiah. He comes before the Lord. Um, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, so he becomes God-aware. And then what is the first response? Who can remember? What does he say? Someone said it here. He says, woe is me. So isn't that weird? He sees this amazing glory of God, and his first words is, woe is me. So what happened then? He became self-aware. He became aware of his limitations because there's this, this glorious king, this amazing God. And so he suddenly became aware of all his inabilities. And I mean, he was, he was the prophet. You know, this is in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He was already a prophet. He was already prophesying on national level, right? This is the Angus Buchan of the day, right? He's, he's, he's already, um, you know, ministering to politicians of his day. He's already gone to the king. But here in the presence of God, suddenly he becomes aware of, of his own limitations and how, how he needs God. He says, woe is me. Now we're getting to the final point. The heart of man, Jesus bringing us to a state of true worship, and then finally true strength. We all want to be truly strong, truly fulfilled, we want to have God's blessings, but in His way, not our way. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. Love the story. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years. This is Caleb speaking. Since the time He said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So here's this man, 80 years of age. He says, 40 years has passed. You know, I was, I was one of the guys that went into the promised land, and I believed God could do it. I saw the giants with my own eyes, but still I believed God could do it because I, I saw the Lord. I could see how big my God is compared to the giants. He said, I could do it. But the people around me, they couldn't, so we went into the desert. And then the desert, Moses said, you know, made certain promises to me. And now 40 years have passed, but I haven't lost a bit of my strength. Because my strength is not in my own abilities. My strength comes from a different place. And he says, I'm able to, to do war now, this day, 40 years later, in the same way that, that I could back then. Because I am connected to this true source of strength. Isn't that amazing? And then we finish off with Isaiah again. So he starts off, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He says, he becomes self-aware, he says, woe is me. And then he ends off and he says, God says, who shall I send? And then after a bit of a wrestle, after a bit of a tussle, he says, here I am. Send me. Send me. And so that brings us back to the words of Jesus saying to that ruler, listen, there's this woman and she's in need of healing. She's in need of compassion. Will you, rather than being absorbed 
in your own religiousness and your own brokenness, would you be able just to move a little bit beyond where you are at? Look at this woman and allow compassion in your heart to stir because I love this woman. Will you go for me? Who shall go for me? And so with those words, I want us to just, where you're sitting, we're not going to stand now, but I want us just to, where you are at, just bring your heart to God. Because again, like the prophetic message just came earlier, God wants us to learn to receive. Because if you are like that ruler, I mean, that guy was, was established. People looked up at him. In his community, he was a, a leader. But yet Jesus saw his heart. And Jesus could see straight through all his accolades, straight through all his accomplishments, and he could see a guy that was really suffering on the inside. And he really wanted to just allow him to open up his heart so that, it, so that he too, I really believe that Jesus wanted to heal that man as much as he wanted to heal that woman with the back of 18 years. But while every eye is closed, let's just close our eyes. Father, we thank you for, this, for your love in this place. We thank you that Jesus, you're the healer. As we discovered and rediscovered again two weeks ago, God, as you've healed so many people physically. In even a greater way, I believe, God, you want to heal our hearts and heal us emotionally. Heal us from our own brokenness. Heal us from our own sin. And heal us most of all from the pride of our hearts. Some of us have been struggling, Lord, because, because there's this place in our hearts that we haven't surrendered before the King. And we've been doing all kinds of things. We've been trying to be the right person. We've been trying to live right according to your ways. And all our attempts are failing because we've neglected to worship God in spirit and in truth. To allow God to reveal to us where we are at really. Not in our own eyes. Not in the eyes of the people. Not on our Facebook status. So many times we tell ourselves, well, I'm, I'm pretty okay. Because the people around me, they say I'm okay. But you know what? You can fool the people around you. You can convince them that you are, you've got everything together. You are just so cool. But guess what? God sees deeper. He says, you are so cool. You are so special you are really amazing but before you can live that you need to come to me on my terms in my way and allow me to heal you because I cannot let you be amazing I cannot go let you go where you need to be going because you will destroy yourself because of the brokenness of your heart. Because you will go around hurting people.
because you first need to be healed of a broken heart. So, Father, thank you for your healing that is in this place. And I pray that you would move hearts to connect. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that allows us and helps us to see the Father in this place. Thank, us, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you allow us to see how much we need you right now. Give us those desire moments, God, where we just say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the King. But my eyes have seen the King. I want us to just have an honest moment. While every eye is closed, every person says, looking unto Jesus, so powerful, we sang the words earlier. Jesus with the fire in his eyes. He can see right through you. He can see into the deepest places of your heart. And all he's looking for is a heart that is willing. So many times the sick would come to Jesus and he would always ask them one question. What would you want me to do for you? He wouldn't presume that they want healing. He wouldn't presume that which he already knew. Before that sick person came to him, he knew that they were sick. But he wouldn't force himself on anyone. He wouldn't presume anything. Then the person would say, Lord, please, would you heal me? Are you willing? Jesus would every time respond, he says, I am willing. That Jesus is willing. While every eye is closed, if you're here tonight, and you want to just say, Jesus, come and heal me. Jesus, I bow the knee. Woe is me. My eyes have seen the King. Why don't you respond to him tonight by just raising your hands to the King. Just raise both your hands. As you just recognize his kingship, His glory. This is God's way. Jesus had died for us on the cross. And He made an invitation on the cross for us to come to Him. It was publicly in the presence of all the people He died so that everyone could know, so that everyone could see. He was so vulnerable. He made Himself vulnerable to the point of death. So, Father, thank you for every hand that is raised to the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you come right now and you heal hearts. Thank you, Father, for the bowing of the knee because that's all that is necessary. It's for us to say, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me from, from my self-focus. Come and save me from my thoughts and thought patterns. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in with power and rewire our thinking. Rewire our, our neuro neurological paths, God, that we would think like you think, Jesus. That we would not go through, go down old thinking patterns, depressive thinking patterns, Lord, but that we would think like Jesus you want us to think. God, we pray for every person's eyes that we would see as you see that we would see ourselves as you see us, but that we would see the King of kings as you truly are. 
come and give us hearts that long for you and that gives ourselves to others so that your living waters can continue to flow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the bowing of the knee, the bowing of hearts. In fact, won't you just, where you, where you are, won't you just do that? Just as a prophetic statement, just bow the knee before the king. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow. We've got the privilege as believers to bow the knee in this life. Now, because he's not going to be the king one day, he's already the king. So Jesus, we bow the knee. You are the king. Why don't you just say in your own words, just where you're sitting, just, just open up your heart to God. The most powerful prayers are when we just begin to pray from the heart. You just begin to pray to your maker, declare his glory. You must be like Isaiah, God, I've seen the king. Woe is me. I cannot do it for you. You need to engage with your maker. You need to engage with your king. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're in this place. Thank you for your holiness. Fill our hearts, Lord. Fill our hearts. Make us new. Give us clean hearts. Give us pure hearts.